Hello, this is Pastor Steve Hogg, and I'd like to welcome you to First Baptist Church. At First Baptist Church, you'll discover a rewarding, exciting church experience through both traditional and contemporary services. Our warm, caring congregation will make you feel like part of our family. Our family has benefited from the authentic and clear Bible teaching of our pastor and staff, as well as the opportunity to serve with our time and talents here. We love the relationships we've developed here at First Baptist Church and the spiritual development it's offered our family over the last 20 years. With activities for people of every age, we focus on spreading the word of Christ from one generation to the next. We encourage families to get their children and youth involved in worship, Bible study, and giving back to others. We have many ministry opportunities where they can learn to share Christ's message while helping others. First Baptist Church of Rock Hill, we're a family of faith passionately committed to following Jesus. That cost a life That paid my way Death its price When it flowed Down from the cross My sins were gone My sins forgot There is a grave that try to hide this precious blood that gave me life in three days he breathed again and rose to stand in my defense so I come to tell Wait, 
have any doubt as to whether or not God really does love you, all you have to think about are the words to that song. That Jesus Christ died a very painful death on the cross to bear the penalty of your sin. So not only could you be forgiven, and not only could you have a home with Him in heaven forever, but so your days on earth could be even better. He died to save you, to change you, to bless you, to heal you, to help you, fill you with hope, fill you with joy, fill you with life, and fill you with purpose. And if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. God really does love you. Church, is that true? God really does love you. Some of you aren't convinced. Some of you don't feel like you're very lovable. You've messed up a lot. You don't think very highly of yourself. You've been told by others that you're not much. And you wonder, can God really love me? Yes, God does love you. I remember years ago hearing about an elderly woman in India. Her life had been really tough. But in her golden years, she gave her heart to Christ, was saved, forgiven, and changed. But her neighbors gave her a tough time, made fun of her, laughed at her. One day she was walking down the street when a young guy joined in, started laughing at her, and he said, you're the ugliest old woman I've ever seen. And she turned around, looked at him, and very gently responded, isn't it wonderful how God can love an ugly old woman like me? It doesn't matter who you are, God loves you. It doesn't matter what choices you've made in the past, God loves you. It doesn't matter the circumstances of your life at this very moment, God loves you. And God has a future for you. God has a plan for your life if you'll open yourself, if you'll open your heart to Him. And I want to encourage you to do that. God's love is the most amazing thing. I remember hearing about a little girl one day playing in the house with her dolls, having a lot of fun. And her mother was sitting in a chair in the next room watching. And suddenly the little girl laid her dolls down and got up and ran to her mom, climbed up in her lap and gave her a big hug and kissed her on the cheek and said, Mommy, I'm so glad you're my mommy because you're not like my dolls. You love me back. And, of course, that mom was touched and a little tear. But she looked at her little girl and she said, Sweetie, I loved you before you were ever born. God has always loved you. God will always love you. God loves you right now. One day Jesus was in a crowd and some of the religious people began criticizing him because it seemed he was always hanging out with sinners. People who had made a mess of their life. People who weren't that interested in God. People who didn't make much time for the things of God. And so the religious crowd were criticizing Jesus. Why does he hang out with those kind of people so much? Well, the answer is he loves them. He loves you. And to help them understand God, he told a story about God and how he loves us. And and, and folks, the truth is, sometimes we don't make it easy for God to love us. Those of you who are parents, maybe you've gone through the the agony of, of a rebellious child, a rebellious teenager, a rebellious young adult who's made bad decisions and you've seen them hurt themselves and and whenever they hurt themselves it hurts you but you keep on loving and many of us have done things that that hurt the heart of god things that that hurt our own lives and the, the people who loves us it's not easy but god says i love you 
And my love for you never, it never diminishes. And so Jesus said, I want to help you understand that. He told a story. It's, it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. He said there was a man who had two boys. One day one of them, the youngest one, came to him and said, Dad, I'd like my inheritance now. That was unusual because it was customary that they didn't get their inheritance till the father died. But this young man had his own dreams and his own ideas about what life was about and what was important in life. So he said, hey, I'd like to have it all now. And the dad gave him his share of the inheritance. And Jesus said, this young man, after a few days, converted all that inheritance into cash, and he left home. Wanted to put some distance between him and his father, between him and his family, between him and home. And, and so he went to a distant country. And Jesus said while he was there, he, he wasted everything he had. He squandered his entire inheritance in wild living or really in the original language it's reckless living. And the text tells us that, that part of it was, was spending money on prostitutes and other immoral behavior. It wasn't that he made a bunch of bad investments. It, it wasn't that he'd been involved in some bad business deals. This guy was just living for himself. I mean, the very moment he went to his dad and said, Hey, Dad, I want what's mine now demonstrated that his focus was pretty much on what he saw every morning when he looked in the mirror. Too many of us live a self-focused, a self-centered life, and when we live a self-centered life, it leads to some short-sighted decisions. Decisions that, that sometimes bring about consequences we don't enjoy. That rob us of, of, of what could have been. And so this young man was living that way, kind of self-centered, and he made these bad decisions. He wasted everything. All of the inheritance was gone. And so he's at, the, he's at the point of poverty. He's at, the, he's at the place called bankruptcy, if you will. And it was in that very moment that the economy crashed. There was a famine in the land. You remember what it was like just a few years ago when our economy tanked and the stock market fell down to nothing? And so here it is, it's bad times where he's at and every resource he had that could have helped him get through those bad times was gone. He wasted it all in just selfish, sinful, wild, immoral living, doing whatever. He, if he wanted it, he did it. If he liked it, he went after it. And it's all gone. So here he is, he's broke. The economy's in a mess. He's wondering what he's going to do. And Jesus even tells us that nobody, nobody would have anything to do with him. See, it all started off with a party. You show up and you're the somebody. You're the well-known person. You're the money person. You're the this person, the talent person, whatever. It starts out with a party and you've got all these friends and all these people and they'll gladly tell you what to do so long as it helps them. They'll be your friends so long as you can benefit them. But now that it's all gone and you're no longer it and you no longer have it, he's all alone. He gets a job feeding pigs for a Gentile. And you can't sink much lower in that day if you were a Jew because according to their religious customs, Swine was an unclean animal and it made you religiously impure. It was, it was, it was just one of the worst things you could do is to have anything to do with, with hogs, with pigs, with swine. And so here he is 
coming from this prominent family with all this going for him and he's he's been self-centered and he's wasted all of it. He's hit rock bottom and he gets a job slopping hogs. And Jesus said he looks at those hogs and they're fat and there's plenty of food that I'm feeding them and here I am hungry and I don't have the resources to, 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 to fix things. My life's in a mess. Man, these hogs are better off than me. And all of a sudden it dawns on him. He's wasted so much. Not just the money, but the relationships, the time, the years, so much of life. And some of you are there right now. You, you've made decisions that have, have, have gotten you in a mess. You, you've made choices that have brought a lot of pain into your life or pain into the life of the people who love you. Some of you have been living so self-centeredly that you've pushed people away and you wonder why you're lonely. Some of you live for self more than anything else, not understanding that when you live for self, you end up with emptiness on the inside. It doesn't work. And you don't like yourself very much. You don't like where you're at. And you don't know if God can like you very much either. We see that in our culture. Bad choices, putting people in bad places. Most of our kids in America today don't grow up with their father and mother. People who go from one problem to another. You listen to so much of our music and it speaks of self-centeredness. It speaks of hopelessness. It speaks of just have fun now because that's all there is. Many of you are here because you're looking forward to hearing John Elefante sing. And, and uh, I've shared with the church in recent weeks that if I go to Waffle House and eat, I have to put dust in the wind on in the jukebox. I don't know, I just I, I, I enjoy listening to Dust in the Wind and Carry On Wayward Son, but when you start looking at the lyrics, it can be a little bit discouraging. You know, the Wayward Son song talking about there will be peace when you're done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't cry no more. No longer emptiness. It almost paints the picture of, of somebody whose life is so empty that, that there's no hope for them in this life. The only hope is to die. And suicide is at an epidemic in our culture. Some of the most difficult, challenging funerals I've ever done in this building, in this room, are when someone's committed to suicide. One just in recent months. In a few minutes, I want to share with you the hope you have. But first... I'd like for you to join me in welcoming to First Baptist and to Rock Hill, John Elefante.
Yes. Thank you so much. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no
John? Yes. I know this is taking some of you back to your childhood, isn't it? <laughs> um, John, I, uh, I grew up in Kentucky in a family that didn't go to church. And I was uh, in high school when I became a believer. Share with us a little bit about your background, especially as it comes to Christ and stuff. Well, I was brought up in a Christian family. Um, I grew up in a great family, but not a Christian family. Yeah. And great is not enough. Yeah. Um, I accepted Christ when I was 20 years old. Um, a friend that I went to grade school with, I knew him since I was that big, came back into my life, and he was noticeably different. Okay. Very, very different. And he was talking to me about things like born again. He would ask me the question, if he, if he died tomorrow, do you think you'd go to heaven? And I'm like, just getting hit with a steamroller. <laughs> and some time passed, and he gave me a book to read by... Uh, Josh McDowell called Evidence Demands a Verdict, and that was pretty powerful. But even the words of the book, I mean, the Holy Spirit had begun to really, really work on my soul. Mm -hmm. And I, re I just remember my quietest moments, that question. If I die tomorrow, will I be with the Lord? And it got to the point where I just, I mean, I'd read up so much, and I'd been to some Bible studies, but I haven't yet, I, I didn't yet go over the edge and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I couldn't—I I just couldn't deny it anymore. Hmm. It was getting to the point where it was taking more faith to not believe than to believe there was so much overwhelming evidence. And I saw a lot of the evidence after I became a believer as well. I mean, the, the peace and joy that, that came into my heart. Now, after you uh, became a you know, follower of Christ, uh, your life changed not only spiritually, but, even, but your career changed too because that's when you... You know, about the time yes. you got to Kansas. And, and what were some of the things you learned through all of that success, um, the good and the bad? Well, I, I learned that without Christ, there's, there's a void in all of us. There's a big void. And my thinking growing up, because I've been playing music since I was 10 years old, believe it or not. I played at Disneyland when I was 13. <laughs> I, I'd done nothing but music. And in my mind, my thinking... When I make it, everything's going to be okay. Okay. If I make it. And I did make it. And I had some fun, but it doesn't fill the void. So when you were playing, singing in, in stadiums and flying around the world and making big money, there was still something missing? You know what? A, a story comes to mind. I'll keep it short. I know it's, it's, all right. it's a big Sunday. I'll never forget playing in Hershey, Pennsylvania in front of about 70,000 people. It's one of those multi-jams with big-time bands and everything. And I'll never forget going back to my hotel room. Hmm. And we had an early flight the next morning. And I, you know, the, this old motel, so whatever we stayed in, there was, I walked by the mirror and I just looked at myself. You know what? You're just that puny little punk that you've always been. Hmm. I mean, just because you just played in front of 70,000 people doesn't make you any more special than the guy next door looking in the mirror. Yeah. And I then realized that, you know, without without Christ, I mean, that just doesn't do it. Stuff is just stuff. That there, exactly. There has, there has to be more. Um, what a lot of people here don't realize is you've won several Dove Awards. You, you, know, you write uh, Christian music, produce a lot of albums, had your own studio. 
Um, talk a little bit about your, your ministry now and, and writing music and how God's using that and what it means for you today and how you, how you see your life now. Well, it's, um, I feel like this is what I have to do. You know, I'm definitely commanded by the Lord to, I mean, some of the emails that I get from people and, and you know, when, 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 somebody, when somebody writes me a letter that they were, they were going to commit suicide, mm-hmm. I have the letter to prove it. Um, and they heard one of my songs called Life on the Line and decided not to commit suicide. It doesn't get any heavier than that. Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't say anymore that, that uh, this is what you need to be doing. You know, and I mean, I love singing the Wayward Sons and does, I mean, I, I'll, I'll probably always sing them. But uh, it, it, the, the Christian music that I write, uh, it's so important in my life. And it's, well, when I was listening to some of it, one of the things that struck me is how you, you tend to paint pictures. You use image a lot to communicate biblical truth. Can you talk yeah. about that a moment? Where does that come from? Does that come from your life? Or where, where, where does that come yeah, from? Yeah, really, it really does. Uh, I think I said it last, last service, but it's I find it easy to open the Bible and just write a song about Scripture. Not, not to take anything away from that. I mean, it's right. a great praise worship songs are written like that. Well, and we're going to sing one later, yes. Confess. That's basically a Scripture song. Yes. Those are pretty easy to write. The hard ones that are right is when I have to reach down into my soul, and I try to write metaphors a lot and explain to people what I've been through and the struggles that I've been through. Mm-hmm. And then other people, oh, I've been through that as well. I've been through that exact thing. So I, I find myself writing autobiographical a lot and what God is doing in my life. And does that tend to come out in the end with a, a message of hope? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I never leave the listener hanging. Good. I mean, I could talk about uh, despair, but I'll always bring it around to what can bring you out of despair. Amen. And, and, and that's the thing about God's love is it doesn't leave us hanging. And uh, when we wrap up the story of this boy who's making a mess of his life, we're going to see that. Hey, would you join me again in thanking John for being with us this morning? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. He's going to sing another song at the end, and then if we have time, there will be an encore for those who want to stick around of Wayward Son, okay? I enjoy watching the, uh, the Olympics you know, every four years, and um, I remember when, when it was in Atlanta back in 96, and one of the things they always do is, is have these people who carry the torch, you know, for miles, and I think it's like a 15,000-mile trip to get the torch for the, you know, the flame from the original one over in Greece or wherever, and bring it to wherever the Olympics is happening, and in preparation for the 96 Olympics, they were, a runner was out in Washington crossing a, a river on, on a bridge. He was riding a bicycle, and uh, he had the, the Olympic torch and, and a holding holder of some kind on his bicycle. And as he was crossing that bridge, his rear tire blew. And he crashed. And the flame went out. Can you imagine anything more embarrassing? You're carrying the Olympic torch. You wreck your bike and you put out the Olympic torch. And everybody standing on the bridge, they just gasp. What's going on? No Olympics. But there's a van following. And they knew exactly what to do. They brought another torch out of the van. I didn't know this, but apparently they keep the real flame in that van. And so they just lit a second torch from the original flame in the van, carried it out, stood it on his back, and he continued his journey. And I was always intrigued by that, but then I realized, you know, that's kind of a, a picture for, for, for life because some of you, I mean, you've been paddling hard, making your decisions, doing things, some of it good, some of it bad, and maybe you've crashed. And you don't think 
you can get the flame going again. I mean, how embarrassed. Some, some of you feel so much guilt. Some of you feel so much shame. Some of you feel so much disappointment. The flame's out. You're, you're lying there on the bridge. The, the, you've wrecked. You've crashed. And you think, man, this is a mess and I can't fix it. But the hope we were just talking about, and, and the, the good news is that because of God's love, you don't have to stay on that bridge. God, God's love is like that torch coming out of the van. And, and God's, God's love can burn in your life. It can pick you up and set you on your way with a beautiful, a beautiful life. And when Jesus was telling this story about this young man who took and wasted everything he'd been given in life, and some of you have wasted careers, wasted family, wasted time. And this young man, he's at rock bottom, but the story doesn't stop there. Because the rest of the story is a story of how God's love changed his life and how it can change your life. In this story, the father is a picture of God. This son who's wasting everything is a picture of me and it's a picture of you, picture of us. And, and so Jesus said, here's what happened. Now, I love the way Jesus said this. When, when he had hit rock bottom and he, and he realized that even the, the employees back at his dad's place of business were better off than him these these fat hogs were better off than him jesus said this young man came to his senses and there comes a there comes a point in all of us when we have to come to our senses sort of like john was just saying when he looked in that mirror and all of a sudden that that moment of clarity came when he realized you know i'm no better than anybody else and and what i just did doesn't really feel what i need in here you have to come to your senses. You have to, you have to start thinking clearly. And, and so this young man said to himself, you know, I, I've, I've messed up. I've made bad choices. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my father. I'm not even worthy to be called my father's son anymore. But he's a good man. He's got this business. Maybe if I go home, he'll give me a job at least. I'm, I'm not asking him to take me back into the family. Maybe he'll just give me a job so I can, you know, pick myself up a little bit. And then Jesus said, the young man, he got up and he headed home. It's not enough for you to sit here this morning and, and, and think to yourself, man, I wish things were different. One day they're going to be different. I hope things change. You've, you've got to come to your senses and then get up and do something. Because if you stay where you are, guess what? Things are not going to change. You've got to do something. You, you've got to think and you've got to make some decisions. And so this young man made the decision to get up and go home. And there are a lot of you who need to make the decision to get up and come home to God, come home to Christ. Now, I know you're, you're worried about how he'll react if you do. Well, listen to this story. Jesus said, here's how he'll react. This young man got up and he headed home, and his father, who was now an old man, was outside working. And he looked over there in the distance, and he saw someone. And then he realized it was his boy. Now, here's this boy coming home, being gone for time, wasted all this stuff, living wildly. Working, feeding hogs. He's wearing old, smelly clothes. His breath probably smells. He stinks. He's dirty. But it's his boy. And his elderly father runs, Jesus said. 
And as he gets close to that smelly, dirty boy who's wasted the inheritance he had worked so many years to build up for his son, this old man runs to his boy and, and Jesus said he throws his arms around him and he falls on his neck and hugs him and he begins to kiss him over and over again. That's what God will do if you come home. Those same arms that were stretched out on that cross will reach forward and embrace you. That same mouth that hung on the cross and, and, and said to the Father about those who were crucifying Him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. will say to you, I love you and I forgive you and I welcome you. God will put a ring on your finger. This, this Father... This father said to his employees, to his servants, get, get the ring the, and, and put it on his finger. It's a symbol of family authority. You're, you're, you're not going to just be an employee. You're my son. You're family. You're home. And God will say to you, you're family. When, when you come to him, you become his child. You become his son. You become his daughter. You're family. You become my brother. You become my sister in Christ. The father said, to his servants, go, go get that robe and put it on. Let's get these dirty clothes off of him. Let's put that robe on him. Not just the clothes that he used to wear, but the robe that we set aside for those special honored guests that come to our house because this is my son and he's a special person. He's an honored person. Put that on him. And, and, and God's not asking you to clean yourself up before you come to him. God's not asking you to fix all the wrongs in your life before you come home. He wants you to come home with the smell. He wants you to come home with the stench. He wants you to come home with the dirty clothes. He wants you to come home with the pain. He wants you to come home with the questions. He wants you to come home with the hurt. And He's going to clean you up. He's going to give you the new robe. He's the one that's going to change your life. He said to his servants, You see that fatted cow over there? Kill it and let's have a party, a big feast, a celebration. And when you come home to Christ... He's going to bless you. He's going to give you a future you never dreamed of. He's going to give you opportunities to make a difference in this world. He's going to give you a reason for being so that when you get out of bed tomorrow morning, you know why you are here on this planet. You're not just dust in the wind, but you are a child of God living here to make this world a better place. And one day you're going to live with Him forever in His heavenly home because you're His family. You're His child when you come home. But you got to come home. You got to get up and leave where you are. You got to come home. You've got to come to Christ. Let Him do that beautiful, wonderful, incredible work in your life. And He's going to forgive you. Even if you struggle to forgive yourself, He's going to forgive you. When you repent of your sin and come to Him, He loves you that much. Some missionaries were working with a, a group of Eskimos in northern Alaska years ago, translating the Bible into their language. And they were struggling to find a word for forgiveness. And the more they interacted with the, with the, the residents there, they, they settled on a word in that language that means unable to even remember it, think about it anymore. And so that's the word they use for forgiveness. 
In the Bible, God tells you and tells me that when He forgives us, He turns His back. Get this picture. He turns His back on our sin and remembers it no more. God's not going to bring it up and throw it in your face down the road. The Bible tells us that when God forgives, He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Opposite directions, never to meet again. The Bible says that when God forgives, it lacks, it's like He takes an eraser and He cleans the board. It's like He takes a piece of cloth and He, and he covers a stain. It's like He takes a dirty garment and washes it and gets it clean. And whatever stains there have been in your life from the past, in God's eyes, they're gone. They're forgiven when you come home. Your past, listen to me, your past does not have to define your future. It only does if you stay where you are. If you don't get up and come home. God says, come home. I'm going to help you. I'm going to change everything for you. But you've got to get up and come home and let His love begin the process of healing your heart and healing your soul. Are you willing to do that this morning? Do you want to do that this morning? Isn't it time you stop saying to yourself, one day, someday... Allow this to be that day, that moment, this moment. Because see, the only person, the only person who can decide whether or not you get up and come home is you. I can't do it for you. Nobody else in this room can do it for you. You've got to make the decision. God is speaking to your heart. All of those thoughts rushing around in your mind, all of those emotions in your heart right now is God speaking to you, drawing you to Himself, saying to you from His love, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Come, come, come. Why do you sit there? Will you come? Jesus said that the angels in heaven rejoice and have a party when you come. And I'll tell you something else. The people in this room who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to rejoice and be excited when you come. But you've got to get up and come. Would you do that this morning? Let's stand for a word of prayer. And, and after I pray, as soon as I say amen, as soon as I say amen, John's going to sing and pastors are going to be here at the front. And as soon as I say amen, you start walking from there in the back, over here on the side, the front, the middle. Come to one of these pastors and say, today I'm coming home to Jesus Christ. Today I'm coming home because I want to be forgiven. I want a clean start. I want a new life. If you want to pray at this altar, come and get on your knees and, and just talk to the Lord as a believer. If you need to join this church, we invite you to come and become a part of this family of faith. And in, if you need to give your heart to Christ, you need to come home, especially as soon as I say amen. You don't wait a minute. You don't wait a second. As soon as I say amen, you start walking. Come to one of these pastors here at the front. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray that as you speak to our hearts, we will have the wisdom to listen and obey. Help those who need to come to come right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You come quickly right now. Come on, we're waiting just for you. Come on.
Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for sending your Son to to live and to teach, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin and to be raised from the dead that we might have life everlasting. I thank you for every man and woman, teenager, boy and girl in this room. We come from different places and different backgrounds, and yet you love each of us equally. I pray today that all of us will open our hearts and our lives to your love, to your grace, and to your goodness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more.